Hello, I'm Sumit Bose and welcome to this week's Net Hero podcast. Well, 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 it is Liz Truss. We now have a new Prime Minister, which most of us probably figured was going to be here anyway, and she has a big job ahead. She's got to sort out the number one problem, the energy crisis. And the energy crisis is now fully much a crisis. There's no doubts about it. This week, you've probably read or seen on Viewtonet Zero Energy Live News, the levels of the spike in wholesale gas prices, particularly with the effect of Russia blackmailing Europe by cutting off gas supply to Nord Stream 1. You've got more inflationary pressures coming in and you've got the period now, the next few weeks before the rise in energy prices is passed on to the vast majority of us with the energy price cap. You've got to remember one thing though, the price cap doesn't apply to businesses. So many businesses are already feeling the hit from prices, particularly in the wholesale markets being passed on and contracts are changing. So what will she do? What has she got to sort out? Well, she's got to sort out whether she intervenes. And as I've said, and I wrote in my column this week, she's got to intervene in my view. The government has got to step in and do something to bail out the energy sector at present. Well, that is in terms of guaranteeing costs or making sure that the uh, UK economy can survive by withholding the levels of debt being passed on to consumers, whether it involves creating a, a fund that energy suppliers go into and then we reclaim the, the money back, they reclaim it back uh, from us because it's our money at the end of the day over the coming years. Who knows? But she's working on a plan reportedly about £100 billion to add to government borrowing, which will be based on kind of how to mitigate in the short term. It's clear the government will have to subsidise bills. The question is, how long would that work for? My kind of view is that it's probably a short-term measure to last maybe a year and a half to two years. How long will people paying that back for? Your guess is good as mine. Another vague story which hasn't happened as the time of recording is it's quite likely that Kwasi Kwarteng, our current business secretary, will soon be by the time you're hearing this, our new chancellor. Well, in my view, that's a great appointment because Quasi knows the energy sector back to front now after nearly four years in the job. And if there's anyone here who can see what the pressures will be, then it's that person there. So if it is confirmed that Quasi Kwarteng is the new chancellor, I think that'll be good. What we need to find out is who will take his place. And again, at the time I'm recording this podcast, I don't really know but we'll need someone who's quite strong to make sure that we have ability to flex in the energy markets. We build in resilience for the years to come and we make sure we don't undergo such a catastrophic surge in prices again. So that's all to come and we'll find out over the course of this next couple of weeks exactly what uh, Liz Truss wants to do and what sort of government we are facing to deal with our energy crisis. Saying that, there's plenty of uh, other stories that are very positive going on on Future Net Zero and Energy Live News. So please check them out. Lots of things happening in the world. 
which sort of give me real hope that despite the things right now, we are going to be able to make sure that we get through this and build stronger for the future when it comes to our ability to have far fewer uh, resources used in the world of energy. There's profit warnings here and there for companies. There's lots of talk about what can be done. But one thing that's really uh, great is the idea that um, we'll be moving forward on many fronts now to guarantee the variety of energy. And I think that's the real thing. We've got to do much more on energy storage. We've got to do much more on building more renewables. We've got to look at. And later this week, I'll be off to Suffolk to chair a debate about nuclear energy, particularly the redevelopment of Sizewell, Sizewell Sea Plant, and what that can do for that region in terms of jobs, job security, and also making sure that there is this ability for us to withstand the, the price fluctuations of the future. So it's tough, it's gonna to be tough, but we've got to have a positive message and think forward, and that's what we've got to do. Now, onto this week's podcast, which is a little bit about that. It's really about uh, what we're gonna do in terms of making sure that our goods, particularly our white goods, are as energy efficient as they can be. Because in this time, we know this winter, the sales of air fryers have gone through the roof. People are looking at more energy efficient products. So what are the companies who make them? What are they doing about it? And it was my pleasure this week to have a chat with Lena Henry, the uh, UK Managing Director of Whirlpool, to discuss exactly how a manufacturer like that can help us as consumers move on to path to net zero. Lena, hello. Hi, Samit, how are you? Very good. Um, just give a brief outline. People have probably heard the brand name Whirlpool, but you have pl plenty of different brands that are all sort of in the white goods market. What, what do you sort of run in the UK? What are the brands we would have heard of? And what are the kind of products you make? Yeah, so I mean, Whirlpool is a global company, right? It's a, one of the leading manufacturers of domestic white goods in the world. In the UK, as you mentioned, we have quite a few brands. So people will recognize the brand of Indesit, Hotpoint, Whirlpool, and also KitchenAid. Um, I would say like we're a very large manufacturer. I think we estimate that one of our products can be found in every UK home. And um, we have a huge staff of engineers repairing machines across the UK. And we also estimate that we visit about 7% of all the households every year with one of our engineers. So we're really present in people's lives. And it's what? Fridges, dishwasher, any kind of white goods, washing machine? Hold so on. We, you know, we, we proud ourselves to be the world's best kitchen and laundry company. So yes, it is all the machines you would find in your kitchen to do laundry. So washing machines, dryers, fridges, cookers, hobs, so on and so forth. Its history is what? Can you just give us a kind of brief outline? Is Whirlpool the name that is because various companies all got swall swallowed up or was it a British company? What's, what's its origins? No, we were established in 1911. Um, wow. And so, yeah, no, exactly. So we're a long-standing company with U.S. origins, right. and you know, obviously, it's a long time from now. We've gone a lot through acquisitions as well as organic growth. So some of the brands that I was just mentioning have been like integrated into a company over the years. And you're headquartered where? In the UK, we're headquartered in Peterborough, where we've been for the last seventy years. And globally? And globally in the U.S. in Benton Harbor, Michigan. Okay, so. 
let's just start with the basics of, of what I said in the intro, which is as we are in a crisis, and it's not just obviously here in the UK and Europe, but it's a global crisis around energy. Everyone around the planet is now facing the implications of what happened with the Russian invasion, but also other market issues were happening way before that. Energy efficiency is going to become the way for most of us to navigate. And we, we're yet to see what Liz Truss as a new PM does in terms of kind of specifics for this country, but it makes no difference. We've got to use less or use things better. And as we've always said, one of the things that happens is human behavior is very hard to change. You know, if I've had a dishwasher to go back to wash by hand, uh, I'm going to find that difficult. You know, it sounds great to go and buy things and wash them in the sink rather than using your, your washing machine, but people aren't going to do that. You've got busy lives, you've got families. Mm. So we rely on people like you, companies like you, to make products better. So what have you been doing to do exactly that so that the machines are better, smarter, using less energy? Because in the end, we're still going to need them, but we're going to need them to be more efficient. No, absolutely. So first I would say that I agree with you, right? We pride ourselves on bringing to the market products that make consumers' lives better. And you know, for example, as a working mother, I do think having in your home a dishwasher or washing machines are, is key. So we're not- Tell um, me about we do, it. My, we're not, we're not planning hammered. to sell less yeah. of them. Um, actually, yeah. we're planning to send, send more because we think there's still a lot of potential for growth in the market. However, we've been from the start very self-conscious about the energy, you know, how, how we actually produce those machines. And indeed, afterwards, the energy that these machines use once they're used by consumers. If I may, I think we were actually a leading one in terms of domestic appliance manufacturers. For example, right. we were the first one in, in 1970, actually, we were the first one to establish an office for environment as part of the company. So, and that's, can you imagine 1970, that was really breakthrough at the time. In 2003, we were also the first white goods manufacturer to join the Kyoto Protocol and would actually start talking about reducing greenhouses gas emissions and actually put a target to that, which was also quite novel at the time. And I would say at the time, those targets of reductions were not that big. So in 2003, we had committed to reduce by 3% the greenhouse gas emissions yeah. by 20, you know, 2008. So in five years, we say we're going to be lower by 3%. But obviously, we were growing really fast at the time. So there was still quite a good, you know, there was still quite a strong commitment. We delivered on this and then committed to an additional reduction by 2016. Then in 2016, we reset the baseline again and said, okay, we're going to reduce our emissions by 20% by 2019, which we also managed to deliver. And then last year, indeed, we committed as a global company to be net zero by 2030. And I would say that a lot of companies have had similar claims recently. And I, and I know there's always a concern about well, it's very easy to, to say, you know, these are grand goals, yeah. frames. Um, but I have to say, since I've joined, and I've only joined Whirlpool quite recently, only six months ago, I've been actually positively impressed by what we've done in the UK on things that are extremely specific. So to give you an example here, I'm just going to talk about the UK, things that people can see. First, um, we have ARC headquartered in Peterborough that we were mentioning earlier, NRG factory that are zero waste to landfill, including zero waste that goes to be incinerated, uh, which we're very proud of. We're using renewable energy on all our sites, and we're also trialing biofuel for our on-site vehicles. Are you talking about your own vehicles for moving yes. your stuff, or are you talking about 
when the repairman comes to my house. So, so it will be all our delivery fleets because we deliver a lot of appliances yeah. throughout the country. And also indeed, you know, that 7% I was mentioning earlier, we yeah. visit 7% of the household every year. We have our own cars doing that, our own vans. We made a commitment that by 2025, all of these will use electricity. Right. In terms, then I'll do a quick point on packaging, then I'll come back to what we call the scope three emissions, which is the emissions that are given by once people start using the machines. On um, the um, use of plastic, also in the UK, every time we deliver a machine, and I know that that's something that consumers are, you know, really appreciate is we come with a machine, we actually pick the old machine and we will recycle all the parts and all the packaging that was used with the machine, we also take with us and we either reuse to deliver other machines or we recycle. And that, but I mean- But it still comes, I mean, that last time my fridge was, and it wasn't your fridge, I'll be honest, it wasn't one of your brands, but it still came with a lot of uh, the polystyrene foam around it and the cellophane on the top. And, you know, these things are still there. What, so what happens? Your people take it away. That will happen, will it? No. So with two things. So right now we take it away and we either reuse it. So we use it to bring like other machines to other people's homes or right. we recycle. Right. So we actually work with people that will recycle that plastic. Now, separately, we are currently trialing um, EPS free packaging for some of our cooking and dishwasher appliances, including full cardboard packaging. But it's still on a trial. Trialing. Right. So new technologies to try and reduce that. You're based in, in Peterborough. Is it just an office or is there a manufacturing going on? Or do you manufacture in sites around the world and then it all just gets shipped? How does it work? No, so we, we do have manufacturing sites across the world. We have um, also a manufacturing plant in the UK, in Yate, um, close to Bristol. Our UK headquarters, so obviously it's our offices, but it's also where all our fleet of our engineers are trained and when they depart from, and it's also where, interestingly, we have a refurbishment center. So as I was saying before, um, we bring back a lot of products to our headquarters and we actually rework these products to be able to either resell them. In a, we have three factory outlets where people can buy products that have been repaired or we reuse the parts and recycle them. Would you say, I mean, look, uh, and I take everything you've said as read because obviously, you know, you're listening up, people can have a look at it, but, you know, you've made some bold claims about what you want to be, which is, uh, you know, achieving 100% zero landfill by the end of 2022. Are you, are you likely to hit that? The zero waste to landfill on all our sites, it's by in 23, absolutely. absolutely. Oh, by 23. Okay, okay. Yeah. I've got, I, th I thought it was 22. I, was and, uh, say, was and quick. I mean, our, our biggest site are zero waste to landfill. So the Peterborough headquarters that was mentioned, yeah. and also our factory at Yates next to Bristol, there's zero waste to landfill today. Right. And one thing, because same thing, it could be, a lot of statements. What we one thing we're really proud of recently is we got the gold medal from Ecovades, um, which we believe you know it's it gives kind of a stamp of a an objective third party um, yeah. credit of all the efforts that have been done by the teams. I want to pick on a couple of things. You, you've got a kind of phrase here, which again, there's nothing personal, Lena, but it's the kind of thing that companies use, which is kind of one planet, one community approach, all of that, blah 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 blah. But the real truth is this. You know, the goods that you have and the goods that you use are quite big when it comes to our emissions, right? Because fridges use refrigerants, all devices use a lot of energy, dishwashers, the fluids. Now that yeah, you're not responsible for the fluids, but, you know, that's a separate conversation about kind of how sustainable are our detergents and all of that. 
when you look at all this and you as you said you know it's very easy to say what is it that you feel you're doing that that can guarantee consumers to feel that there's a trust because that's the key isn't it Lena you've got to trust the brand is actually doing what it says and this is where loads of big brands have fallen foul because they say this and then someone yes. investigates and find it's it's rubbish it's garbage or they've put it all on a bloody boat and shipped it somewhere where it's it's sitting on someone's shore and it said it's been recycled so what can you say to say to to, to the listeners you know you can trust what we're doing is right because there's a cost to this there's a cost to your business we'll have to pick up I think your question is uh, is spot on. I mean, first thing I would say is oh, the work of our engineers over the last 20 years has been a lot about making our machines more energy efficient. And we've made yeah. huge steps forward, right? So I had to give you um, an example. I mean, you know, and this is you, I'll give you example of what we do. So it's um, heat compressors, for example, for new dryers, sensors, advanced softwares in the machine. As an example, if you look at some of the, um, the machines we're doing, we're producing now, and you compare it to the energy that the same machine was using 10 years previously, you've got a 40% drop in energy consumption. Wow. And, and then to your point about, well, why would we believe you? In the UK in particular, we were also the first manufacturer to partner with Eureko. I don't know if you're familiar with them. No, I'm not, no. Explain okay, a so, more. so it's actually um, a third party that does actual computations of the energy use of a machine, depending on how many times a week you're gonna, you're gonna run it, you know, for how long. And they actually will tell you, well, if you use this machine versus another one, you will save X pounds per year, or you'll save X pounds over 10 years. Um, I mentioned some of the biggest retailers have actually started using Eureka data on their website. Um, Curry's has started doing it. Yeah. Um, EO has also started doing it. So if you go online on those retailers' websites, you will have that objective source of the actual energy efficiency. And you will also find that, obviously, on their websites as well. You've got uh, a change that's happening, as I said, because, and I, you know, I'm not saying it's good, right? No, obviously it's not good, but the current crisis, and I think it's gonna last at least another year and a half, is that everyone is now aware in a way that perhaps maybe even just, even during the pandemic, they weren't about the cost of energy, right? Particularly in this country. And, you know, we have a global audience, but, you know, we are pretty much a UK faced uh, sort of organization to begin with and in the UK we've had historically low energy prices do you think now this will be a real push for manufacturers like you to do even more because now the public are going well, what is the the rating on my washing machine before we just looked at the price of it, right? I'm a bit of a nerd, obviously. So when my wife says, let's go and buy something, I say, hang on a second, that's an E-rated one. Let's get an A efficiency one. Because although it might be slightly more expensive to begin with, in the longer term, it saves you more. But the consumer shouldn't be able to, there should be, they're all going to be A, right? They're all going to be a certain level. Do you think this current crisis will have a real ripple effect for people like you, not just in your uh, sector but in, in in other manufacturing sectors to think actually we've got to engineer the solution out the way of the end user they don't have to worry about the choice of an a machine or an f machine we've just done them this way okay so the thing is i think 
we've done a lot of work already, right, in terms of bringing more energy efficient um, machines to the market. Where I don't think we've been as successful so far is to really convince consumers that this was the way to go, right? And in terms of communicating them beyond buying an energy efficient machine, also all the things they could do to save energy on a daily basis. That means, you know, for example, only running half load when you, need, you know, when when you can. And so I think the onus is on is on us now, and we have a huge window of opportunity indeed with the energy pricing crisis to really convince consumers that it makes sense when you buy a new machine to trade up. So to pay a little bit more to have a machine more energy efficient. And we need to step up our communications. Do we tell consumers, once you have this machine, these are the way you can use it that will really reduce your energy bill. Yeah, but also the cost is, let's be honest, the cost is, a, is, is the number one factor for everyone, right? And there will be the, but maybe there are ways, I mean, are there ways that you can help with that? Because everyone's in a, in a, in a crisis right now that you, and, and I'm not just saying for Whirlpool, but for other manufacturers to say, actually, you've seen it with Volvo, with cars, where they go, you don't actually own the car. It's a bit like your phone. You just rent it from us and we'll look after everything. And when it's time, we'll, we'll make sure. Are you looking at those sort of models that kind of cradle the grave say, actually, you'll buy the machine, but you're not really buying it. Maybe you sort of rent it from us in an affordable way. We make sure it's as efficient as possible. And then one, once it's, its life is over, we'll make sure it's all safely reused or disposed of. Is any of that sort of stuff in your mind? Yeah, so we, as I was saying before, I mean, we're doing something around the circular economy already, right? Because we we take machines back and we try to repair them and resell them. Um, But to your point, we're not yet offering a rental system. However, it's it's interesting you mentioned that because definitely something that we're working on to be able to pilot it next quarter. So in Q1 of next year. Hey, there you go. And I know, I know you were on to... It'll be my idea, Lena, right? It's okay. (laughs) Where are you on the whole kind of business side of things? Because, you know, we've talked a lot about your goods that obviously we would have domestically, but you must make things for the commercial market. You must deal with commercial size fridges. And all those businesses are facing a big pressure because there's no energy price cap for them, right? And they're going to have to deal with that. But they've also got, as you said, to monitor their scope one and two emissions, particularly, and for some of the bigger ones, their scope three. So on the commercial side, which is kind of our business audience, what sort of solutions do you have? Do you have different ways of doing it? Or is it still a very transactional relationship with Whirlpool? So, I mean, first to clarify, I mean, we, we do target the end consumer. So we don't sell, we only sell our products to like people living in a home, right? So domestic, right, okay. Yes, absolutely domestic users. So that's really our focus. So to your question, we're not selling machines to other companies, if, if that's your question. Right. But but for commercial use, you don't, you, so you wouldn't kit out a, a restaurant or something like that. They just choose to have your fridges if they wanted to. It's that sort of way. No, not, no, not really. And, and it's really in, in our company's mission is really to improve life at home. Um, right. Wedded to that. Okay. So home includes small businesses because a lot of small businesses just have a normal fridge i've seen that myself so in terms of that are you working on things solutions to help sort of the business consumers who are at the lower end of the scale which is frankly you know we're we're a small office and we would get a domestic fridge in here you know we'd have a domestic dishwasher these are the sort of things that actually but we've never really thought about kind of oh is there a way of getting some advice on those things you just go and dare i say look on amazon and and choose one 
No, so I mean, here I think we're, we're quite well equipped because, um, you know, really early on, you asked me about like the, the brands we represent and our roster of brands. So yeah. the good thing about that roster of brands is we cover definitely different price segments in the market. So Indesit, um, for example, is our value brand and it will give you honestly a very high functioning, good energy efficiency product at an unbeatable price. So we feel, you know, given the current context, I mean, we're we're actually quite happy that we have that kind of products in our range. But would it be as it won't be as efficient as your highest end market, will it? Or or, or are you trying to kind of offer something efficient for every price packet? No, it, it won't reach the same level of um, energy efficiency as the thing you'd have in a in a hot point range or whirlpool range. But it will still be, you know, a, a very good trade off if you're indeed constrained in terms of spend. What are you doing about your refrigerants and gases that you use in your fridges and freezers and things like that? In terms of what we what we do with them? Yeah, exactly. So people have talked a lot about, obviously, you know, most firms have now got rid of CFCs, but if people are looking at how can the, the machines be more efficient, can they have less of the coolants? Are you looking at any of that sort of technology as well? And people are looking at different ways of using these things to reduce the actual carbon footprint of the device, even at the first stage before its use longer term? No, I mean, the, the, the two things I would say is obviously we're fully compliant with the regulations. And most of the time, actually, we try to be one step ahead, right, to be ready when regulations evolve. And in some things, we, we've made it quite strong steps. So, for example, in our, in our dryers, we are, we're currently completely phasing out F-gas. Right. Yeah, gotcha. So you're doing that ahead of any legislative need to do so? Yes, yet beyond our sustainability commitments, it's also the right way to do business, right? We don't want to be caught off guards when regulations change. So every time we've been one step ahead. One of the things that um, is very interesting is changing human behavior, right? And I'll give you a very simple example is me. You know, when I was, you know, even till recently, I used to do the classic thing of turn on the tap, put the toothpaste on the toothbrush, brush my teeth, the tap is running, and do it that way. Now I've stopped doing that. I did put it on, turn it off, brush my teeth, then rinse. We've been told use less water in the shower. Yes. We've been told, you know, don't boil a full kettle of water. Yes, yes, yes. What are you going to do to help people with what we need is the classic, you know, everyone used to smoke in their office. They can't now. And that was because legislation moved it. Now the government can do so much, but it's up to business to do things as well. What, what are you trying to do in that regard? I think, I mean, generally, I think this is one area where we could do more of, right? It's communicating to consumers that I think buying the machine is just part of the equation, right? So you've done the work, you've, we've convinced you to trade off to a machine that was extremely energy efficient. How you use it is the second part of the equation. And I think here, collectively, you know, manufacturers and retailers, we could do a lot more to educate consumers about how to use their machines. I think, for example, a lot of people don't use the eco cycles on their dishwashers, on their yeah. washing machines, even though it will have a direct impact on their on their energy bills. So I think this honestly, I think this is something we we. Yeah, but people always think that the eco one doesn't wash as much. You know what I mean? There's these conceptions. No, I think it's we need to break the myth. Um, and I and I don't want to brag, but at home we always use the eco cycle. And <laughs> no, no, but seriously, but but I think on this one, I mean, you put I think you're putting the finger on something where we haven't done as well as we would like to right because indeed yeah. the miss is out there and i would say like we shouldn't stand alone on this one right other manufacturers should support and retailers have also a lot of a bigger role to play in terms of how we make sure that those messages seep through 
And, you know, I was mentioning before, we have a window of opportunity. The truth is, in the past, we were bringing more energy-efficient machines, yet people didn't want to spend more. You know, that just mm. didn't resonate with them. Mm. Now, it resonates with them. Not because, And I'll be blunt, not because always of the environment, but because of the money of in course. the pocket after the energy bills. It's, our, it's a window of opportunity to change behaviors, not just purchasing behaviors, but usage behaviors. How much, uh, I mean, you may not have the figure directly to hand, but how much recycled material do you use in your machine? So if I bought a new fridge from you, is it like 10% made of recycled fridges or something like that? Or or how does it work? Or have you just got a general figure for kind no, of- currently it's, you No, know, currently it's less than 10%. The right. You know, though our teams are focused on increasing that number. Indeed. We've got a big issue here about kind of right now, uh, you probably, I don't know if you're doing, but you know, Air fryers are very in, right? Because <laughs> people have said, hey, they can use a lot less energy and new devices will come. But one of the things that's you know, starting to make its way into this whole energy efficiency is flexibility and the smart grid. And that means smart devices. I don't know whether you have any of these kind of smart fridges yet or smart washing machines, but they will come. So a couple of questions. What are you doing about that future where the device is intelligent, internet thing, all of that? And the second thing is, how do you make sure that our data, frankly, you'll know when my washing machine is going on, you'll know, maybe you'll know the load of it, who knows? But that's my data. I don't want you having it. What are you doing to go make sure that in this future where much more is needed to be shared to make things more efficient, people are still protected in terms of cybersecurity and their own privacy? Okay, so there's there's many questions in one on that one. I mean, first, I would say it is indeed a big focus of us in terms of technology improvements to get machines that are using the right, you know, just the amount of energy that is required, and also just the right, you know, amount of detergent that is required, for example, for things like, you know, for our auto dosing in a washing machine, just make sure you yeah. just use it. We all just use way too much detergent. We do, yeah, yeah. yeah and, and, you know, for example, if I look at our Whirlpool range, our Sixth Sense technology, it's really about just running the cycle that your, your clothes will need to be washed or your, or your dish need to be, um, to be cleaned. Now, Separately, we also um, focused a lot on using technology to make sure that we can more easily repair the machines, right? So having technology inside the machine that can actually pinpoint the actual issue so that we save a lot of time and we can fix the machine much more quickly and almost moving to a vision where beyond fixing a problem in the machine, we could actually forecast that a problem is going to occur, right? So we would be tracking, for example, the energy consumption of a, of a washing machine and be like, hey, actually, the starts are starting to be wrong. This machine is going to fail. So we could actually come to the consumer's house and repair the machine before it broke, if you follow me. So these are, you know, this is a huge focus of ours. Now, the last part of your question was around, um, you know, data privacy. And yeah, data privacy. Yeah. Being a U.S. company, I can assure you that we actually, no, no, and I'm, I'm being facetious, but also not. We are actually extremely diligent on how compliant with our, we are with everything. So I feel extremely... I, I, don't, I don't want you knowing what's in my fridge, Lena. Do you know what I mean? Let's... <laughs> <laughs> I'm I don't want my fridge telling me, assuming there shouldn't be that much ice cream. No, but you, but you know, I do actually feel confident when I look at the way we've handled, you know, you know, similar topics um, regarding different issues. I think like we are extremely robust on how we're handling these types of questions. 
Before we end, we've got to look at you, and you've touched on it, this end of life. Now, many uh, of the partners on Future Net Zero are moving towards the complete, you know, from digging up in the ground to, you know, whether we bury it again or turn it into something else, the end of life. You take things back now. When will you be able to say to me how many years before you say, actually, do you know what? Every machine you, we take away, we will make sure that nothing is being wasted. You know, I mean, there'll be some things that we'll have to, you know, probably get rid of in a safe way, but as much as we can salvage, we will. And these, these things will, will last longer because that's another criticism that all manufacturers get is that you make all these things very smart and then you want me to upgrade. Well, I don't want to upgrade. You know, I want to keep the thing going. And the old classic of, you know, I bought a dishwasher 20 years ago and it's still going, my new, new one's packed in after a year. It sounds a bit of a laugh, but it actually is quite true in a lot of cases because there's much more in it. So those two points, end of life and also making sure things last longer so you're not forcing the consumer. Obviously, you, you, you kind of want to sell things. I get that. But that is all part of the, the footprint of something is if it can last longer, wouldn't that be better for the environment than buying and making a new one? So first to your question, I mean, I would say that the time is now because all the machines we pick up, we literally either repair them, reuse the parts, or they are recycled and we use to do something else, right? So, you know, we, we've been doing that for, for a long time now. So you're confident to say, if you picked up my old washing machine today, you'd be able to remove pretty much 90. Yes, absolutely. Right. Okay. Wow. And on the second part? On the second one, um, I mean, I don't have exact stats on that, but now we're pretty much getting machines to run like about 20 years, right? So a fridge, right. washing machine. And when you look at what consumers say about the durability of our machines, of our brands, we actually came proud of the fact that we're seen as, a, as one brand with the most durable machines. And, it, and I do get it because you want to sell more machines, but you, you understand what the other point is, which, which is, you know, the longer they last, maybe it's, you know, the, the way that cars are going, which is you just do a software update. I don't know, but things are going to change, aren't they, in the way that the whole white goods world operates. It's, it's, you know what, this one is a tricky one because at the same time, we understand, you know, people desire to keep their machines running and yeah. we understand the whole, like, let's make sure that those machines don't end up in the landfill. And here I can assure you that is absolutely not what's happening today. However, back to the energy efficiency, there's been such a jump in the mm. energy efficiency of machines that sometimes you actually want to tell that little granny that instead of repairing her fridge, she'd be better off buying a new one because she's going to play massive bills for the two, three years to come, and it's not worth it. So yeah. it's, this one is a very tricky one right now because... Yeah, it is, because the government is, is trying to encourage repair as well. You know, the government said, you know, let's look at repair. You see these sites that are up there now saying, don't buy a new mobile phone, get one that's been repaired and refreshed. And you can see the old way, you know, I'm pretty old. So I grew up where, the, where there was in every high street, a repair shop that you took your iron or they came and fixed your fridge or your washing machine. Nowadays, most younger consumers for sure, once it's had a bit of a problem, just, just get a new one. No, and, and I think one thing that we should think of, and here is as, as a nation, right, that the government could think of is like, what can be incentives that could be given to consumers to trade up to more energy efficient machines? So what can we do collectively to make sure that you know, consumers don't have to pay a green premium to move on to an energy efficient machines. Um, but that as a nation, we still trade up to things that, you know, reduce our use for energy over time. You've joined recently. What's your ambition regarding 
your net zero credentials for the Whirlpool? I mean, here I will, I will go back to our global commitment of net zero by 2030, right? Because that's what we've done globally as a company. Yet personally, I wanna make sure that we keep improving what we do in the UK. I mean, uh, as I was saying, I'm, I'm, I feel quite proud about all the steps we've done so far. Some of the things are still in the works. For example, you know, moving the, the fleet of vehicles to electricity vehicles and so on and so forth. So there's still, there's still a lot to do. Where will we be by 2050? Will I have a robot fridge? No, at the end, I mean, consumers' needs are quite simple. And I, and I would, you know, I'll, I'll go back to my needs, right? I want a machine that works. I want it to be extremely energy efficient. I want it to be easy to use so I can get my boys to use it, right? And they're still, yeah. still small. It's a bit robust. No, well. no, exactly. I, I don't want it to be too big, right? Because real estate in this country is a, is a premium. And I don't, I don't want it to make too much noise. Yeah. <laughs> it sounds like a wish I could okay, so basically you're gonna have the meeting with all your designers go build it for my house. No, no, and, and uh, but people are increasingly working from home. And one thing that we've heard repeatedly yeah. the last two years is people are like, wow, I never realized my fridge was so loud. So I know the things I mentioned, they're they're simple, right? And then people also want a one big cavity, right? So they, they're not gonna increase the size of the chicken, but they want their fridge to hold a lot of stuff. They want the dishwasher to hold a lot of stuff. These are simple needs. It takes a lot of work from our engineers, right? To be able to deliver on these needs. But the benefit of being a global company is we have large teams working on this. So for me, 2050, I would say, Samit, forget the robot. I mean, deliver <laughs> on that wish list. No, but seriously, let's deliver on that wish list. And, and I think that will make people's life at home better. Absolutely. And to end with, you did say you're a global company. And obviously the needs here are very different to the needs in, say, India or sub-Saharan Africa or other parts of the world. So in terms of that, what, as a, as a company, what, what is your ambition to try and make sure that you don't leave the poorer parts of the world behind, the developing parts of the world behind? Because we need to take everyone with us on this journey to net zero. Um, so what we're doing, I mean, as a UK, um, we're an example for other markets, right? So example, um, what I was mentioning about our refurbish factory, the one we have in Peterborough, it's now a model that, we, that we're rolling out to other countries around the globe. Um, so I think like our learnings and our best practices are things we're trying to use elsewhere. Yeah. And then in terms of the markets elsewhere, I see you work, you work for, for products that work in those markets to be as efficient as possible for them. Absolutely. No, no, absolutely. Leila, thank you very much. I now will look at my washing machine and fridge in a different light after this conversation. But uh, it's been great to have you on Future Net Zero and, and to talk on the Net Hero podcast. So thank you very much for your time. And I do think it's one of those things that, you know, we do need more manufacturers coming along and discussing what they're doing. Because at the end of the day, as I said to you, we are the consumer. We're in your hands to make sure that what you make for us is better for our, for our planet in, in the long term. Thank you. It was great talking to Lena Henry there. And, and I think that's a real thing that we've got to have companies taking the lead. You know, we can ask government to do a lot. We can ask politicians to get involved. We need to have consumers do their bit. But at the end of the day, the mantra of Future Net Zero is better business, better planet. If businesses do the things that make it easier for us as consumers, we will do them. That's it for this week. Plenty of news going on. Keep abreast of all of it on futurenetzero.com and I'll catch you next time. You've been listening to the Net Hero podcast with Summit Bose from Future Net Zero. Visit our platform for all things Net Zero. 
And if you or your business is doing great things on the path to net zero and want to be featured on the podcast, email nethero at futurenetzero.com. Follow us on social media. futurenetzero.com. Better business, better planet.